Silent Joe, you ever get sick of all these talking shit about DCC on the internet? Um, yeah. You know, with all the money we're making writing RPG adventures, we could buy a lot of plane tickets. How many people want to kick some ass? Do you post as Pathfinder fan on the Goodman Games forums? Yeah. Did you write? TCC RPG. Them in their stupid asses. Yeah, a while ago. So? In the comment section of Tenkar's Tavern, did you say that, quote, the DCC RPG adventures are all f***ing clown shoes, and if they were real, I'd kick the shit out of them for being so stupid. Yeah? Really? I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. This week, we empty out the email bag and get all caught up on our listener emails. We share a new Dungeon Denizen winner, mostly to get Daniel J. Bishop off our social media backs. And those of us who have hit the convention trail already this year share our experiences. And Judge Job is going to share his tips and tricks on how to work a day job, be a professional game writer, and still stay married. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm Judge Jim. And with me tonight are the usual crew, Judge Job. Uh, hello, Jim. <laughs> Judge Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. And Judge Jen. Hello there. So, whew, another episode. Yay. Woo-hoo. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, let's, well, let's hear it. We've all got day jobs and we still do this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. All right. How about we move it straight to the tavern? And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. Tavern, Tavern talk. So what did we all do in gaming this past, I guess, week or two since the last recording? Well, I think you had the first con experience, Jim. Oh, be chronological about it. Yes, I uh, <laughs> I got back last week from uh, North Texas RPG Con. Uh, my second, fa- well, my 
equal favorite con with Gary Con. I have to be nonpartisan about that because they really are both almost the same con. Doug Ray and uh, Mike Battelotto run that thing with like military precision, which I, I said to Mike when I was down there, and he goes, oh, no, we just make it look easy. And I'm like, no, chill, dude. I, I, I can tell. You guys work your butts off to do this con. So uh, we had a lot of fun. I got uh, killed twice in Michael Curtis games. That was always fun. <laughs> Were they DCC or uh, Metamorphosis Alpha? Uh, one was Metamorphosis Alpha, playtesting uh, one of his adventures that will be published after the deluxe hardback comes out. And uh, that was a, a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't get any you know, friend card slack or anything like that. We almost made it to the end, and then we wiped because uh, one of our party members uh, decided it was a good idea to – I want to see if my laser gun can be set for overload, and that was the end of us. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That'll do it. It's uh, All these years, I, have, I owe Jim Ward a huge apology because all these years, I thought it was just him being a bastard every time we would wipe in Metamorphosis Alpha. But it turns out it's the rule system. It's a tough game. Mike, Mike runs it very much like Jim, and even in my own little playtest campaign, I wiped half the party first game. Oh, man. There's just yeah. a – there's no, there's no, you know, fussy new school gaming slack in that game. You got to know when to, when to charge and when to run away. And but the, uh, the most fun I had was in uh, Doug Kovacs' game. Doug ran us all through um, the Spine Wizard's Tower, and I just could not. I could take up the whole podcast and enthusing about Doug's uh, adventure that he wrote and the way he he ran it. The thing was like a uh, combination of a Roger Dean yes album cover and a Steve Ditko Doctor Strange story. I mean, once we got into the adventure, our feet never saw the ground again. It was just weird, extra-dimensional space stuff as far as the eye could see. Um, and a level zero character funnel. So we were all in there in that thing as level zero, which is what I love about DCC anyway. You don't have to wait till your 10th or 12th level to go start doing planar walks and stuff. Um, he spooked me out, and I thought at this point in my gaming career I was past the point where anything happening in a game would spook me out. But we're just in the middle of this thing, and a, and a devil materializes on us who speaks to us through kitten heads on his knees and just starts screaming at us. <laughs> Are you culpable for this? And Doug is just playing it like Academy Award-winning performance. Are you culpable for this? And we try to bullshit him and lie, and he's like, your mistruthitudes are outrageous. <laughs> Oh, that's that's very Doug. Yes. Yep. That sounds that sounds great. <laughs> wow. So uh, that was that was quite impressive, and I got the chance. I wasn't in the con schedule to uh, run Doug and Mike Bolum and Jason Lacker and a bunch of guys through uh, the museum at the end of time in Mutant Crawl Classics, and that was a treat too. So uh, lot you know, lots of old school gamers, lots of fun. No, what's the museum at the end of time? It's a character funnel that I uh, whipped up for uh, Mutant Crawl Classics. Oh, oh, I haven't, I haven't heard the name of that. Okay, it's the old. I took it a little bit from H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Traveler, except it's out in the middle of a radioactive desert. You find a green porcelain tower full of all kinds of good stuff that'll kill you. They did, they did good running through it. Uh, I might have to make it tougher. They, there's a, there's a. I tried to make it old school at the end of the adventure. There's one of those old school things where. Touch it once, a good thing happens. Touch it twice, a pretty good thing happens. Touch it three times, and it's TPK. And they resisted the impulse to TPK. <laughs> Very I, nice. cool. I couldn't bait them into it. Now, NTRPG Con size-wise compared to Gary Con's a little smaller, right? Yeah. In fact, if 
to those that are interested in going to a second convention that's just like GaryCon in in many ways, um, uh, the, Doug and uh, Mike have decided that eventually they're going to cap attendance because they want to keep it small. They, I think it was maybe 300 people tops. So uh, when that day rolls around, those of us who have attended previously get first, you know, cut at getting into the next one. First dibs. So, that's cool. So, re- and then they already have registration up for 2015. So, oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. Very cool. So, Jeffrey, you just got back from Origins, which is North Texas Con is why I couldn't get to Origins. Yes, I did just get back from Origins. Uh, I was there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and a little bit of Sunday. Uh, Origins, for me, I actually I, I buy a badge, but I don't play any of the registered games. Uh, in fact, Origins just turned into, a re, uh, I guess, a reunion of sorts. All of the DCC actual play podcast folks show up to Origins. We started it last year. Last year, we were missing the guy that plays Baptist. Uh, his name's Aaron. We missed him, but this year, we got them all. So everyone in that actual play congregates to origin. So that means we've got people coming in from Michigan, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. And, awesome. Uh, yep, they all they get two rooms, room together, and then we more or less just run off-the-grid games sort of for each other. Uh, one of the guys runs a lot of Dungeon Slayers for uh, the con, but the rest of us, we sort of just we all take turns. Uh, the online group is awesome, really strong, um, GMs all the way around. So I slacked and I only ran games on Saturday was all I ran. But, uh, while we're there, um, ran, I didn't run a DCC game. I actually ran Swords and Wizardry, but, uh, uh, the guy that plays Baptist, his name's Aaron. He ran a DCC funnel, uh, super cool homebrew wasn't, uh, nothing published. Uh, I believe it was called the Witch's Veil. Uh, it, lots of fun. Uh, he he ran a really good game. Um, there about probably about fifty percent of the party made it through that one. Uh, but it was pretty tough. Had some uh, a, a giant, some witches. Uh, it was pretty cool. And another guy, the guy that plays Santh, his name's Dustin, and he ran uh, an adventure. He's calling Tomb of Ar- uh of Armantis. Uh, and it was a cool full sized uh, adventure. It probably took us five six hours to play. Uh, second level DCC, and just lots of uh, lots of cool puzzles and tricks and traps in it uh, type stuff. Uh, so you know, had your typical fight it out encounters, but some really cool uh, tricks and traps along the way. Uh, so those are the two big DCC things we did. And then uh, let's see, I ran a couple Swords and Wizardry games, played some Labyrinth Lord. Uh, and then we filled it out with, we played, uh, Paranoia, which I'd never played before. I have a, my local GM loves Paranoia, always runs it at cons, but I've never played. Uh, we played that. Yeah, it was great. We, uh, we got our mission and from the computer and we were off to go do our thing. And as soon as we got to the sector, we were supposed to be all chaos dropped out. I mean, it was like literally someone just turned and said, I shoot so-and-so in the head. And it just all went crazy from there. (laughs) The whole rest (laughs) of the thing was just... It, it was insane from there. So that that was a really fun con game. And then uh, Saturday night, the last game we played was uh, Zombie Slayers, uh, which for people that don't know, there's a game called uh, Dungeon Slayers out there, w- which is pretty cool, lightweight game. And then there, Zombie Slayers is a take on it. And uh, Kelly runs that. He plays Patrice and Dandelion on the actual play. Really good GM. And uh, we all had a great time with that. Uh, really cool mechanics. The the mechanics of Zombie Slayers really fits with a zombie-themed game. We had a really good time with that. So, uh, yeah, Origins was great. Uh, uh, I was out way too late a lot, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a really good time, though. 
I think you just answered a question that I've always had about your campaign, which is why your characters, your players tend to be so chaotic. But if they're all also, you know, fully qualified GMs themselves, then you're what you're basically doing is judging a group of people who all think outside of the box themselves. <laughs> Definitely, because every one of the guys in the group can run a, a, a great game. Uh, in fact, every one of them, uh, just about every single one of them did run a game while they were up here, and all of them were great. But yeah, that it certainly probably leads to some of the difficulty. Or, or entertainment. <laughs> Fine line. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's entertainment to some, but uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's a fun group, and we had a good time, and it's always nice to get the whole group together like that in person. So, Well, how about you, Miss Jen? Uh, well, our group finished the uh, the Jewels of the Carnifex module. Um, it was kind of dubious for me as a judge because we were starting the session with a massive combat. Um, luckily for them, there were a ton of ones rolled behind the screen, which made things quite a bit easier for them. Uh, we had a, a first-level wizard who'd already indebted himself to Cezrakhan, uh spell-burned the crap out of himself, plus using a favor from Cezrakhan to uh, summon up basically a pack of direwolves, and sent them in right ahead of the smitten halfling and the new cleric of the Carnifex. So that was our front of the line. Uh very, very interesting uh, results, we'll say. Uh, final tally was no permanent deaths, although the cleric fell once. And we now have three shiny new worshippers for a cult that will see the light again for the first time in a couple centuries. Nice. So I'm, very I'm lo cool. looking forward to having my world completely rewritten by the players. <laughs> Oh, welcome to the club. Well, dude, dude, my players are on the verge of this. You, you've now got to sit down and create your own patron with all the spells and invoke patron results, don't you? Um, to a point. Um, I've actually been talking with Harley Stroh about this since it was kind of his baby to start with. And we're not sure if we want to go the deity or the patron route. And quite honestly, I, I might do a dual write-up for her. Because some of the worshippers aren't priests and aren't wizards, but they could still use some sort of patron like that. Well, so ch check, check me on this, guys, but a uh, patron bond can be cast on like a warrior and a patron by somebody who has the spell, right? Yeah, you can yes, cast it can. on another person. Right. Um, I'm thinking in this case, since they've actually met the uh, the power in question... Yeah, there might not need to be a patron bond spell for the non-wizards in the party. I got you. You're, you're calculating the way to really screw over your players, and you just don't want to talk about it on air out loud because they might hear. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> no, I, I think it'll be really cool. And uh, the the guy that came in and, and saved our butts, really, uh, by taking over this character that was the cleric, uh, Chris Carpenter from the Google Plus group came in and took one look at the character and went, yes, I will do this. And it's just been a blast with him since. And he's like, oh, I have plans for this character. Oh, good. Let, let's see if we agree with this. <laughs> so it should be a lot of fun uh, when we are able to reconvene. 
Now, Jen, are, are, you, are you on tour now too, or something like that? I heard, I heard something like that. Oh, pff. um, well, I've our performing group uh, kind of got contracted for a gig that falls on Free RPG Day, so I was really uh, spouting some obscenities over that, and the crew is indulging me, so we're going to be finding a public spot somewhere in the uh, Peoria, Illinois area that evening so that I can run something for Free RPG Day. And nice. so uh, if, do you want to just you, tell our listeners the name of your group so, and maybe a, <laughs> a web address that they can go check out? Oh, yeah, if people want to come see you. Um, the group is marooned. We are acapella pirates, um, you know, sea shanties, drinking songs, songs of love, songs of the sea. Sweet. Um, we are starting our 20th year and doing that at the Old English Fair at the Wildlife Prairie Park just outside Peoria and That'll be uh, the 21st and 22nd. And we're also going to be in the hallways at Gen Con again. We've got a table set up there. It'll be our 10th year with Gen Con, which will be awesome. And there's a handful of new releases planned. Um, We don't, at this point, have a website per se. It's more of a social media presence. So Facebook page? Yes, Facebook page. Yes, Mr. uh, Excuse me. Judge Jim was our 1,000th fan. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes. Internet I'm a, confetti. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a slut. What, do you, what can I say? And, 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 and I know your tour is taking you through uh, Cincinnati next week, right? Um, I, well, I, that, I, I, I that's a personal side trip. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I should have already told you this, but I'll go ahead and tell you on the air. Um, I got it all set up with Todd, so we are gaming that night. Awesome. I cannot wait. Cannot wait to get my, my little pause on that material. Yeah, I know Bob wants to play Metamorphosis Alpha, but he's going to have to suck it up and play Mutant Carl Classics because that's the way the vote went down. Awesome. And I won't bother telling him till he listens to the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I knew that's what you wanted to play, so I had to accommodate you. Ah, oh, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Jim rigged the vote, sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just made sense. It's just a couple hours out of the way, and we're driving back and forth anyway. So well, it should be the, a lot of fun. The the guys in my group are like, okay, we could play a game where we're probably going to die, or we could have fun. Let's have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you make it sound like it's not fun dying in the game. Uh, well, I don't know. Different people <laughs> have different funds. Oh, it's not Cthulhu dying. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you guys love that game, but you can have it. <laughs> Job, <laughs> in, in all your spare Save time, us, Job. <laughs> in all your yeah. copious amounts of spare time, how, how's your gaming been going? I, you know, I haven't gotten too much gaming in, but um, at the end of the month, I'm getting to go to Go Play Northwest. That's here in Seattle. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to run my uh, my Lamentations. Uh, war dungeon thing that i did over there um cool yeah yeah uh, it could be cool it could be it totally weird but um yeah i'm gonna do that i don't have any tips for balancing anything because i'm just sleeping at my desk and oh having my kids beat me with sticks and all kinds of stuff trying to keep me awake but um 
I, I'm through the bulk of my deadlines. I have one more thing left, and then and then I'm not going to say yes to anything. I'm going to stick to this. I'm not going to say yes to any more contracts. Whatever. Yeah. We heard that before. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll support you in that. You want us to call you out when you do it? <laughs> yeah, I need some kind of support group here. <laughs> Stage an intervention for you if you need it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I sheesh, I got to keep my uh, my schedule open anyway with the way these Kickstarters are going for Goodman Games. So, I like, told oh, that thing you finished writing, you know, ten thousand words for. I need another twenty thousand words in a month. Like, oh, I've told I told you earlier. I've already lost all my bitching uh, privileges with Michael Curtis now that I'm writing stuff because everything I send him now, he's just like, well, uh, welcome to the fabulous romantic world of writing for RPGs. <laughs> that's all I get now. Nailed it. Yeah, yeah. that's a great Michael Curtis impression. Love it. Oh, he brought his girlfriend to the North Texas con, and she's like, do the impression, do the impression. So I do it. And he's like, well, that doesn't sound a thing like me. And she's like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's my whatever week, my life. So was that, what was the con again? Uh, this is called Go Play Northwest. Um, it's more of a story game type of thing, but people just come and run whatever. So um, I don't know. I'm hoping to get in a Torchbearer game. I've always wanted to play that, but I still haven't played it yet. Oh, I want to you know, hear how that goes. That book looks complex. And, and, and one of the guys that runs the uh, the con, uh, Tony Dowler, um, he every year he runs these like, massive funnels, like uh, a table of... 12 plus people in a DCC funnel. So those are usually a lot of fun. Ooh. So yeah, I don't want to miss that one. He, he always um, comes up with something cool kind of off the cuff. So two, three level zeros per player. That's a lot of level zeros. Oh yeah. No, I think we had four players. I think it was four players the last couple of years. So yeah, we had like 48 characters. We actually, I, he'll probably give us less characters because last year, like the table split in half, and then there's kind of collars for each half of the table. We were could we split ourselves in the middle of the dungeon and ran off into this other thing. And we, uh, our, my group, um, we we, you know, there was some, you know, like a river of the damned or something, and, and you know, there was like Charon and the river of sticks or something, which he, you know, was trying to scare us away to like join the group or something. But we we like kicked this thing's ass, jumped on the boat, like. Swam across. There was a there was a like a I don't know a dragon, um, on the other side. And he just like took some stats for a dragon, rolled them up real quick, and we had but we had like twenty level zeros, and we actually kicked this thing's ass. And um, he was yeah sheer numbers, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, he was kind of upset by that, but yeah, what are you gonna do? It's like the old trick of running a herd of sheep ahead of you into the dungeon. You just oh, I have thirty or forty level zeros. There you go. Off you, <laughs> yeah, off you pop. You Go find those pit traps. Yes. Well, cool. We'll have to link to that uh, convention then. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, go play north, uh, go play nw.org. A lot of fun. Nice. Well, since the body of this episode is going to be us answering and emptying out our email bag, shall we? Yes, we shall. Let's summon Bring some emails. the mail. <laughs> You've got mail. Message for you, sir. Summon email. Okay. Good job on organizing the emails, Jeffrey. 
No problem. Who's up first? I'll read the first one. First one's from Daniel Bishop. He hey. writes, go ahead. He writes, hello, burnouts. Once more, excellent podcast. I am looking forward to Joseph Goodman, John Marr, and Rev Dak appearing as guests. We need to make that happen, burners. The core rulebook is an inspiring piece of writing, and every time I dip into it, I come out with new ideas. Recently, in the monster section, I notice again the discussion of unique powers for NPC spellcasters, monstrous or human. This seems to be something that hasn't occurred in many of the published adventures to date. Any ideas your listeners could steal? Uh, thanks, Daniel Bishop. He's right about hmm. that. I'm trying to Which think. Which part? Our guests or the powers? <laughs> Oh well, let's let's do it in order. Yeah, I mean we've 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 pursued Joseph, and he's a busy guy, but we'll 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 nail him one of these days. But uh, John Marr and Reverend Dak would be excellent guests for us to have. Yeah, they would be good ones to to get on the show. Yeah, I think they would do it too. So as I look around, I think that's a job for the new judge. Oh, for me next. Uh, okay, next one comes from Richie Singler. Oh no, I meant go go get Re- I meant go get Reverend Dak for us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we've okay. tried we've tried and failed. Maybe you can persuade. Yeah, him. You, you can scratch that one for me. Thanks. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where you were going with that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll talk to Dak. I'm I'm sure he'll not have too much of a problem with that if we can get things scheduled right. And I dialogue with John a fair amount, so I can probably see if he's up for it sometime. Or they can just listen to the show and write us. <laughs> that, that would be the lazy way to do it, Job. We could put a little effort out. Ah, just <laughs> tell him, hey, guys, send us your schedules. <laughs> Whoever writes first gets to be on the next episode. <laughs> it's well, a contest. Well, John and Doc, if you're listening, for you two only, we will double the guest uh, fee that we usually pay. Just for you two guys, if you come on the show, we'll double that. Ooh, normal. Can we afford that? Sure, we can. Okay. Barely. <laughs> Love it. So back to the why don't more spellcasters in the modules just have wacky spells um, that they use? I've tweaked some stuff before. Uh, folks, that I'm way behind on posting actual plays, even though I have them all queued up and stuff. But uh, I have a certain situation where an NPC spellcaster just did – weird stuff with his hands that was real it's not really a spell documented anywhere or anything like that just there was some weird stuff he could do with his hands electrical energies surrounding it and stuff like that i mean i threw that in there for something i was running i know doug doug kovacs has got this down because in the spine wizard's tower we weren't i mean we were level zeros and there was no way we were going to kill the spine wizard right that, however, did not stop me from running one of my level zeros up to him, burning 14 luck, and rolling up my peasant cap in an attempt to stuff it down his throat so he couldn't cast any more spells. And <laughs> that was how Jim learned that in Doug's DCC universe, uh, archmages don't need to speak to kill you with a spell. <laughs> Doug, said, Doug said, next time, try another or- different orifice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's in the mercurial magic table, even. Shoving the cat somewhere? No, no, not needing to speak <laughs> to cast a spell. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah, I was channeling back to AD&D days or something. It didn't work. I died. But, uh, I mean, we've talked about it on the show before, too, about how, uh, according as the rules is written, uh, uh, NPC wizards can't spell burn, so that makes uh, a spell duel tricky when it's the evil I, saucer I versus one of your players. I NPC wizards all the time. I cheat. I break that rule. 
I spell burn that. And I also have certain things where they cast and don't have to make a spell uh, check, too. But that's why my players love me. Well, and it, as a judge, it's almost easier to do that. That way the players can't be looking up the spell and wondering, oh, you must have gotten that number for a success, but then why isn't it working like that? Right, yeah. Yeah, I try to, I try to throw them off. So I'll do stuff where sometimes I'll pre-roll or sometimes I'll just be like, you know, it's just going to work this way. Uh, and I'll sometimes let them spell burn too. I try not to because, you know, I try not to spell burn to an unfair advantage with an NPC wizard. I mean, I try to assume the guy wants to be able to get away and not turn himself into a quivering pile of nothing. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes eh, if there are little points if I'm doing spell checks, I'll do it. But I, I'm trying to remember exactly what Doug said because he wasn't just a bastard and killed us with this guy. I mean, he explained to us that, you know, this is an archmage who's traveled the the, the planes and has access to all kinds of, you know, high magic that, uh, you know, on your planet, in your home system, you only have a vague understanding of. And that was the in-game explanation for why this guy could just, you know, pow, 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 pow. And I think that's cool. I think it's awesome. I think more judges should throw free the the binds of, you know, spell checks for everything and, and just go with it. You know, if the dude's super cool... He might tap into some hidden power or unknown power the PCs don't know or have access to. I know that rubs some PCs the wrong way, but uh, my, it works well for my group. They get it, and it lets me have a little bit of fun with the NPCs and do some stuff that's not a direct spell out of the rule book or something like that. So, uh, I, What I usually do with my NPC wizards is, because I don't want to roll up their stats or even keep track of their changing modifiers or anything, is I just like you know say okay well this npc's you know beforehand and like eh, he's got eight points of luck or whatever that he might burn um to kind of do the equivalent kind of you know boost up some of his spells but not be too overpowered yeah that's that's a cool way to handle it too it's kind of part and parcel of, of how good judging works and and especially in dcc because it, with what we're talking about that relies on a lot of uh judge fiat you know judge judge uh your players trust in the judge that he's not doing things just to screw them over. And I agree. It take, I do think it takes a tremendous amount of trust in the group to pull that off, Jim, because like you said, otherwise the players feel like you're just screwing them over and that's not fun. But if you can walk that fine line between doing it, but I agree. It, and it's probably something that might be intimidating for a new judge. I mean, sometimes we get caught up in talking about a lot of experienced running games because uh, you know, all of us are fairly experienced have run a lot of games over the years and stuff, but you know, I could see some of the stuff we talk about being a little, you know, for a new judge, a little intimidating to just make it up on the fly or something like that. And, you know, it's fine to roll the spell checks and do it, but don't be afraid to push that envelope a little bit here and there. Right on. Great advice. Okay. Cool. Next email. Next one comes from Richie Singler. And he starts, hey, Jim, Jeffrey, and Job. Uh, this must be an old email. And Jen. And Jen. <laughs> and Jen. <laughs> uh, thanks for starting up the podcast again. I was really missing it. I'm still running my home DCC RPG campaign, possibly the longest I've ever run in a row. My PCs are starting to hit level three, and I'm thinking of growing the world a bit. So far, I've mostly just strung published modules together. Jim, I know you're a fan of Gamma World and Metamorphosis Alpha. Those were a bit before my time. We yeah, got old timer. <laughs> we got into a bit of riffs, and before that, a lot of TMNT back in the day. Ooh. Uh, very much looking forward to and would love to hear more about Mutant Crawl Classics whenever you are ready to discuss it. Great topic for a future episode, I think. 
I've been looking at Mutant Future as well. The fanzine episode was great and inspired me to pick up PDFs and some print copies of all the DCC zines. I was already subscribing to Crawl. So my long-winded question is, what do you guys think is a good way to include a bit more mutant gonzo weirdness into a campaign prior to the release of MCC? I'm open to anything, themes, ideas, products, published modules, already have frozen in time, Goodman Games or third party, etc. So, Judge Jim? Oh, uh, well, I, I would just want to start off with, uh, I don't mean to sound coy about uh, Mutant Crawl Classics. It's just, it's in the early stage. Joseph is looking at it. It's not on any kind of publishing schedule. So that, you know, I mean, all, all those kinds of questions should be sent straight to the Dark Master. Um, <laughs> but what I, I can talk about is what I'm trying to accomplish by writing it because I have a very uh, strong opinion that Gamma World was the second best RPG ever written and the single best um, science fiction RPG. And that might sound like a bold claim on the surface, but I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack about it because uh, no, nothing against Traveler or Star Wars D6 or any of the great champions, even you know the great science fiction themed games that have come out, but every single RPG since D&D references Dungeons and Dragons in one way or the other, either by similarity to, or we're going to do this different from, right? You with me so far? Yeah. Okay. So the, uh, what makes Gamma World great is that as far as, uh, game structure and mechanics, it's almost identical to D&D. You've got the same sort of party structure, the same sort of exploring underground and wilderness adventures. It was it was more or less written and designed to go hand-in-hand hand with D&D. So with the thing I'm writing, I'm just trying to make that compatibility 100% with uh, DCC. You know what I mean? You, with Traveler, you've got a whole different dynamic, and, and that's great and you may enjoy it, but for those of us that are very focused on D&D, that that post-apocalyptic setup in Gamma World was near perfect, and I don't. And I'm also of the opinion that Gamma World never really got its due or had its day because of the way TSR marketed it. I mean, Jim Ward created it, and they came out with a box set, and then would just do a few modules and then periodically revise the rules. If it had ever gotten the same support like three hardback books that D&D got, we'd all still be playing it today. And uh, I'm, you know, the old school games were all kinds of mixtures of different genres. And Gary Gygax was, uh, back in those old interviews, was talking about how announcing an intention to meld all these systems together into a universal rule set, which he kind of did later. But when he was still at TSR, he was he, his eventual goal was to, you know, put them all together, and he never got to do that. And that's the goal I set for myself: is let I love DCC RPG. Let's take the post-apocalypse system and do that so that they are 100% compatible. There's nothing you have to worry about. You just drop mutants into your medieval fantasy campaign, or your you know warriors and wizards and thieves get swept off into the post-apocalyptic future, and everything just works. Nice. That was that so was my. So, are there any are there any um, existing? products or published modules or third-party stuff that would have the same kind of feel to it prior to the release? Um, he's already on the Mutant Future, which is the OGL version of Gamma World, and that's just like it's equivalent to Labyrinth Lord by, this, by Goblinoid Games, same company. So you can uh, make that stuff all work on the fly in DCC with just the same kind of you know on-the-fly uh, changes that we talk about on the podcast all the time. Um, and the uh, new fanzine, which I've not read, but I, you guys probably have already seen under under a broken moon, right? Under a broken moon, yeah. and and even Crawljammer is just full of uh, DCCified 
sci-fi stuff you could dump into your game. Very cool. And, uh, and one other one I'd like to recommend is uh, I picked up a copy of, I don't know if you guys have seen this one, but uh, Mutant Epoch. It's yeah. by, it's, it's by uh, William McOsland, who does a lot of the awesome art for um, for the DCC uh, books. Yep. Um, and he did like all the art in the book and he wrote the game. And it's actually, it's really cool. The core book is awesome. It's got a lot of good source material for, you know, mutations and all kinds of stuff. So I, I highly recommend that one too. Now, have you seen it, Jim? I, I haven't read through it, but I know of it. It's pretty decent. There's a, uh, somewhere out there, it's just a free PDF you can grab online is a Thundar the Barbarian uh, campaign setting for Mutant Futures, which would lend itself very well to DCC. Tell, please tell me you guys are old enough to remember Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, yes. Okay. Who? <clears throat> Thundar the Barbarian, yes. It's a fun, fun cartoon. Started uh, rewatching it recently, actually. <laughs> For our listeners in their 40s, yes, that was a Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> yeah, we, I used to watch that and eat booberry cereal. They don't even make that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Job, do you want to get the next email there? I guess so. Okay. <laughs> this one comes from Jeremy. Hey, guys, I've been a subscriber and listener. Since the beginning, and I love the show. I'm wondering, are any of you planning to run any games at Origins or Gen Con this year? Oops. I, <laughs> my friend and I have had the opportunity to game with several of the Goodman guys and play tests at cons, and I was hoping to get in one of your games. Uh, well, or Jeremy. Origins being past, how about the future? Uh, I'm not I'm not probably going to be able to, to get to Gen Con this year, um, like 99% sure. But uh, I don't know. How about you guys? Are you guys, uh, you got anything on the books for Gen Con? I'm in the same yeah. boat as you, Job. I'm 99% likely not to be there this year because of some other extenuating circumstances. So I likely won't make it this year. A bummer. Yep. Uh, yeah, we're contracted. We, we don't really get a chance to play the on-book events. So we'll be there for, um, I believe it's being referred to as DougCon. For all of the after-hours stuff that uh, Doug Kovacs yeah, you, be doing. Yeah, you two stood me up last year. Not on purpose. Let it but, go. I even gave you notice. <laughs> well, that's how Jim got in the in my game. So yeah. So thank you for me. I, I weaseled into no. a game I didn't have in my schedule. No, we still don't have our schedule yet. You know, we hit, we hit event reg. We try to get into a few things and then chances are we got to sell our tickets back because we get the performance schedule about three weeks out. So it's a little rough, but hey, you know, we get to go to Gen Con, so it all works out. This year I will only probably be driving up for Saturday and of course I won't be running anything, but uh, I am a a special guest at UConn in Ypsilanti, Michigan this November and I'll be running uh, I already talked to Joseph whatever needs playtesting in DCC I'll be running that and maybe you know the odd Mutant Crawl Classics game so if you're in Ypsilanti in November cool nice man maybe I should go there that's close enough uh, but with that said Gen Con and correct me if I'm wrong folks but like Embassy Suites after normal like after exhibit hall hours is pretty much the happening spot for DCC folks, right? I mean, at least out of the community, if I recall correctly. So if you're looking for DCC game, that's usually where Doug Con would happen, right? 
The embassy, right. the embassy suites bar, which on Wednesday was one table of us, and by Saturday night was like one whole section of the bar. Yeah, I think yeah. I counted sixty of us that Saturday. So, and if you want to stay in the loop on that, in case something does change between now and then, the, the Google Plus community group for Dungeon Crawl Classics is probably the place to keep an eye on as Gen Con gets closer to see where those after-hour non-official events are happening at. Yeah, people Definitely. usually like fire up like a, a hangout too, and then it'll be announced on the Google Plus page somewhere. People usually just you know pile into the hangout and um, find out you know what what the cool game is that night or where it's what time to be where. Or, or just stop by the Goodman Games booth at Gen Con and ask John Hershberger, who always gets stuck there. <laughs> Poor John. Okay. How about another email? Oh, it's round to me, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's round to you. All right. <laughs> Sorry. It's so very late at night. Uh, this email is from Edgar Johnson. He says, hello, folks. I've been listening to both Spellburn and Judge Jeffrey's live play podcast, which is at jeffreyirontavern.com. Yes, it is. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is that the guys in Jeffrey's campaign are at 7th level. Here's the thing. I've been playing one of my characters a lot, but he's still 19 points shy of the necessary XP for 4th level, and I began to wonder if we've been doing XP wrong. How do you handle XP? I'd like to get a sense of your process in as much detail as possible. Thanks, and rock on, Edgar. So I I do XP the unofficial way which is I, they level when I tell them to <laughs> and some, <laughs> and some, cause I'm lazy at heart and I don't like to track all that. Uh, even though it is actually really easy to track in DCC, but I don't like to track all that. Uh, so in the early parts of the game, they probably stayed first level longer than they should have. And they probably stayed second level longer than they should have. When we hit the mid phase, I probably leveled them up a little quicker than what the DCC would have said at the time. And we recently just advanced uh, about three, four months game time. And all of them had... See, this group has... We have a private community group that we do stuff in as well a little bit. So all of them had these cool things they wanted to do. And I felt like they deserved a little bit of experience and quotes there uh, for that. So... Even though they might have been off stage a little bit, I still let them sort of acquire some XP. So we probably did, I, I don't know, since I haven't done it the official way, I don't know if I can say we've leveled faster than they should, but uh, I certainly can't say we leveled officially as fast as we should have because I more or less just tell them when to level. So that's how I do XP, and I picked that up from Pathfinder games, which makes Pathfinder players just cringe because most of my Pathfinder games I used to run and stuff, I didn't do XP either, and I learned all that from my local GM who didn't hand out XP, and it worked out pretty well. And it was just a whole level of bookkeeping I didn't need to keep track of. So that I, it carries over to a lot of my games these days. Jeffrey, I don't want to call you out, but you're, <laughs> you're, you don't sound like you're doing anything except what's on page 360, which has a whole section on awarding XP for mundane class-related activities. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, not just combat. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, sometimes if they're, uh, I mean, people have heard the actual play. I mean, my car- the, my players do all sorts of stuff that I think is cool and might not necessarily be combat. And you know, so I I probably award stuff for things like that in the back of my mind. But so I feel like I'm close to, but like I said, I can't say for sure because I really haven't kept track of doing it the official DCC way. Don't you guys play once a week religiously too? 
We do play. We're really good. We're on our longest gap we've ever had right now because I was sick one day. We were all our origins last week, and then we took we're taking tomorrow night off because my wife would shoot me if I tried to play tomorrow night. Uh, so we're on our longest break of three weeks, which is as long as we've gone without playing. Uh, but yeah, other than that, we are pretty good about playing religiously once a week. So, how about you guys? You know, having played uh, one of Job's games at GaryCon, I think we're kind of similar on that. Um, I mean, it's very subjective. If you look at the section on experience points and and how much to give out for each encounter and whatnot, it it's really kind of a, a subjective case by case basis. So, yeah, you know, it might be a cakewalk, but somebody had a really great idea to make it a cakewalk. So I would maybe give an extra point for that or two. I got to tell you guys, I don't, I mean, it's one of the things when I first cracked open the book, I went, oh, thank God, because I used to hate in D&D and AD&D calculating experience, because it was just a, 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 you know, a whole session with the calculator sitting down and figuring it all out, and this couldn't be any simpler. I mean, there's like, what, like five settings, you know, was the encounter easy, was it sort of difficult, or was it life and death? Okay, two, four, six, bang. Yeah. I mean, I can do. As my experience is at the end of every night, I just sit there with a piece of notebook paper and spend thirty seconds going, "Okay, that was a two, that was a four, that's a six. Okay, you guys, twenty-two points for tonight." Yeah, maybe look at the map that you were using and say, "Oh, okay, well, this room, yeah, eh, they kind of walk through this one, but this one, yeah, we got two people died. Yeah, okay." But so I you w- do it at the end of the night too. When I remember to, sometimes they have to remind me, or we do, or or we just you know start the next game with, okay, you guys all got this many XPs. But uh, I mean, I've been for a metric, I've been running a game every other week, so with some interruptions occasionally, like you know, just we missed a week because I was at a con, and mm-hmm. my guys went from zero to they're all third, about to go fourth in roughly six months of campaign. How does that mm-hmm. sound to y'all? For biweekly? Yeah, not bad, I guess. Yeah. I don't feel yeah, like I'm... It's hard for me to get a read because so many of my players, even if they're there every single game, they might be playing a different character because they had a few survivors. Right. So, yeah, they, they'd probably be a bit higher if it was just one apiece. So, yeah, that's pretty on par, I would think. How do you handle it, Joe? Um, I don't know. I just make it up. And then if I'm writing an adventure <laughs> that's level three, hey, all you guys are level three. there you go there was some of that for mine even when it was like you know hey i've got a plethora of third level adventures we might move through second to third a little faster or something or you know oh i want to do this so you know i i had varying degrees with that said i think they stayed zero level a fair amount of time and they stayed first level a really long time uh so i don't know God, it, sound, it sounds to me like I'm the, the bastard judge in the group because uh, I ran uh, my guys through uh, the great Stonehill Laser Massacre, which was written to be a six-level uh, Mutant Future adventure by Michael Curtis, and my guys were first-level uh, DCC, and so rounding down by half, that made it about DCC-wise about a third-level adventure, and they were first getting ready to be second, and I'm just like, screw it, they're smart, they'll figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, and, and how many PCs did you have at the table? Um, uh, that was a big table. That was before we split the group, so it was maybe ten players. 
Yeah, see, I, I don't think that's a problem at all. Fair point. Uh, the numbers will overcome. I mean, all I want is like, you know, everybody to be feeling enough drama that they're not bored or playing stupid. That's my goal. Yeah, it's I think that's goal. a good goal to have. Yep, I think that's a good one. I think it's a good goal to have. That It comes out being fun that way, and if it takes a little bit of accelerating level advanced or slowing it down here or there where it needs to be to get that hit that right zone, I think it's good. Okay. Well, ask and answered. Cool, and I think it rolls back around to me with another email from with a with an email from Michael Thompson, and he writes, "Hey guys, I'm a I am new to DCC and have and have only even had my book since GaryCon. I was wondering if you guys have ever converted any of the DCC modules to a higher or lower level. I really like some of the first level modules, but some of, if not all, of the characters will be hitting level two within the current adventure." I really want to run Sailors and Doom of the Savage King. I think Sailors will be an easy convert, but I haven't actually read Doom yet. Will that be easy as well? Thanks for the great podcast, Michael. Holy crap. I think I read Doom of the Savage King when it came out, but I can't even remember the adventure now. Um, yeah, all you have to do is beef up the Jarl, I would think, and a and couple of the baddies. Yeah, yeah, that Jim, that was the one with the the Hound of Herod, I think, on the front. I, re- I remember the the Kovacs uh, cover. I just don't remember the adventure off the top of my head. But in general, how would we just buck things up and down levels? I mean, this just came. I saw this. I was late answering, but on the Google Plus community group, someone was asking about the a similar question, like, how do you beef something up? You know, is it hard to do? And I boosted uh, Frozen in Time which is first level all the way up to fourth level. And it was pretty easy, I thought. Someone asked me to clarify exactly what I did, and I'm like, well, I sort of make it up on the fly. But for the most part, boost their hit dice a bit, equivalent to boosting their hit points some. Uh, maybe bump their AC one or two, maybe. And then uh, you know, give them a better attack bonus. And then, of course, if they're a spellcaster, toss on a, you know, some extra spells for all that. Uh and that's making a bigger jump from first to sec, or first to fourth. I think uh, sailors or doom would be, you know, shoot. Yeah. I don't think that would be that hard at all. It, it just boost a hit die here, or there by one, and increase attack bonus by one or two here, or there, and I bet you it's done. Or maybe yeah, even just, add a beast man or two. Yeah, that can that can work too. If it's not going to make the combat unwieldy, just you know, throw in an extra exactly throw an extra beast man or something like that. I usually just do the, um, you know, whatever level the adventure is. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a little, a certain amount of guessing, but um, if you, you know, say you're taking that uh, that first level adventure, I'm pretty sure it is, um, and wanted to bump it up to fourth, then um, you know I would take you know most of the the one hit die monsters and maybe just you know um, add three more, two to three more hit dice. Um, to that monster. So if they had, you know, 1d8, I would just roll 3d8 real quick, for example, um, for that fourth level adventure. And then I would take the number of levels boosted. So, you know, if you're taking it from one to four, then, um, you know, it's basically, you know, fourth level adventure. So you can either, you know, just divide it by two and either add two to whatever their attacks are or, or, or one. Um, since, um, yeah, three kind of—it's three levels higher, so it's kind of in the middle of of one or the other. Um, 
and just kind of guess from there. And if, if it's too hard, then um, on the next encounter, try to, you know, reel it back slightly. And if it's too easy, then then uh, try to bump up the difficulty the next time. Um, usually when I'm doing that kind of stuff, I try to stay consistent. So, like, don't change in the middle of the uh, of the battle. Um, <laughs> just because then it, I think people usually feel like all of a sudden, like, oh, he's, you know, just making this up or whatever. So, um, I don't know. What do you think, Jim? Well, I was going to agree with you until I wasn't, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it, 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 you know, do as much work in advance and make your best calculations. But I was going to say, if you, uh, you may be new to DCC, but if you've been running games for a while, if you're at the level where you're comfortable with on-the-fly conversions to start with, do your study and your homework up front to change it. But if you see it going astray one direction or the other, don't be afraid to make, you know, mid-course corrections. Uh, you said in the middle of a battle. And, you know, don't do that, in what I'm saying, in the middle of a battle. But as the encounters go on, you go, okay, well, half the party, third of the party just died. Maybe I better ease the next guy up a little. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, but a little bit goes a long way in either either direction because this DCC is a very swingy system, and and don't overreact would be my advice because sometimes, like Jen was saying, I'm sitting there behind the screen and I'm rolling two for the you know evil saucers initiative, and they just rail over the guy, and that's just the way it went, you know. If they yeah. if they all rolled high and I rolled low, that's what happens, and sometimes it works the other way around, and a bunch of people drop. Don't be afraid to let that happen. Plus, I mean, you know, when you're at a higher level adventure and if it is too hard, the, the players by then should know when they should turn tail and run and their characters should be strong enough that they, they, uh, they have a chance of doing that. The entertainment value, in my opinion, is it's a risk reward situation. And that's what I love about DCC is because the higher the risk, the better the payoff when you somehow survive it, which is very old school. So don't be mm -hmm. afraid. Don't be afraid to make it good and tough. And besides, if they fall, you know, chances are they're recoverable anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that too harsh? No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's something that happened in a play test of uh, Perils of the Purple Planet this Saturday, where we were joking that we were going to roll the body, except we would need a spatula. <laughs> Ooh. Because of, of the way the character <laughs> met his death. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Okay, well, hopefully that answers your question, Michael. And that, and I think I'm up one. next. Yeah, so from Willie William Brown, dear Spellburn team, thanks for the really funny and enjoyable halfling episode. It was well worth the wait. I know a lot of people have been interested in an adventure path option for DCC. I just wanted to draw your attention to an excellent new adventure for DCC by Daniel J. Bishop, Creeping Beauties of the Wood. Is the sequel? Uh, I'm sorry, Creeping Beauties of the Wood is the sequel to the macabre and very funny Prince Charming reanimator. I understand Mr. Bishop's plan is to create an entire fairy tale themed adventure path. This installment is for first level characters. It picks up the story where the previous adventure left off. Not wanting to give away any spoilers, important NPCs are developed from the previous adventure and the consequences of Prince Charming's activities have to be dealt with. Really? There are three distinct adventures in this 50-page module. Two new patrons, complete with taint and spells, are included, and an entirely original character class for DCC is introduced. Plus, we also have Michael Curtis's box set, Chained Coffin, which also promises a pretty cool adventure path option. Hope to hear from both these writers on Spellburn this year. All the best, Will. 
All right. Well, I think we're all Curtis out here, but um, well, Harley, well. Harley's next up in the queue. Uh, I think we probably uh, the Perils of the Purple Planet. Um, are we allowed to say that's probably going to be one of the next Kickstarters? I think we can pick that just up from the Goodman Game Seminar at GaryCon, or at least we can assume. Doug Kovacs' art postings in the G Plus group. Oh, yeah, that too. Okay. There's been a lot of that going on. So, yeah, I think that's a... So if that Kickstarter does the nuclear thing like uh, Chain Coffin did, I would expect that to include some of the same shiny stuff. I did notice that there's another Goodman Games seminar at Gen Con. So I'm curious to see if history is going to repeat itself there. Oh, yeah. And none of us are going to be there to videotape it. Hmm. It's at 8 or 9 a.m. I'll be there for that. All right. There we go. You got a camcorder? I'll make it up. Okay. (laughs) I I, I liked when we were able to do that for Gary Khan, both uh, Job's audio recording. But yeah, we we got to do something though, because every time I'm hearing the words "adventure path," I'm, I'm like my eye is twitching. Can we invent a new word for it? <laughs> I don't have anything against the concept. It's just the term "adventure path" is making me twitchy. I, I really think the chained coffin is going to be more of a campaign setting. Yeah, or you know, adventure locale or something. Yeah, I would I would agree. But I mean, it, it is a, a, a adventure path, you know, because it's, it's got adventures from level zero character funnel all the way up through fifth, which is awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan of that that term adventure path either. It kind of makes my skin crawl. It makes me think of other games that I don't particularly care for. <laughs> but with that said, a lot of people from those other games are coming over and some you got to keep in mind. I mean, we've all been doing this for a while, but I'll be the devil's advocate, but some people only know adventure paths and stuff, you know, they've gotten into the game through uh, you know, I'll say it, Pathfinder or something like that. So, you know, it's just what they know. Uh That's a perfectly you know, fair but, point and all I'm doing is copping to my personal prejudices. <laughs> and and I agree. I've run adventure paths and they can feel very constricting compared i let's put it this way i much more enjoy my dcc online group than when i ran an adventure path uh just because things can go anywhere they want and the players can drive the campaign whereas if you're running an adventure path it feels more like you need to keep them on track and it's a difference but uh i think just some people feel uncomfortable with the whole let the players drive the campaign and i don't know that's yeah, yeah, that, I, that is a fair point because I have no idea where they're going from here. I, I've got to read up and try to pick a module that fits kind of into what they're doing now. It makes you fun for you, right, though? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I'm a research I, monkey. I, I love this. <laughs> well, the, the good news is, I mean, people have been screaming for this stuff because the younger players, this is what they're used to is I want a campaign setting. I want a pantheon of deities. You know, I want uh, adventure path. And the good news is that through the Kickstarter and Chain Coffin, Goodman Games, you know, answered all that. Yeah, super excited about that. That's going to be an awesome little thing. I think that answers uh, – that's a great spot for both whether you like Adventure Path or you've been rooting for a campaign setting. I'm, I'm hoping Chain Coffin fits that. It's close enough to either to help give people what they want. I think it'll be pretty cool. Yeah, I, well, just just one more complaint. I mean, the, the you guys already hit on it, but the thing I don't like about Adventure Path, and I'm not talking about any particular games, um, 
but uh you know is 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 the pre-programmed nature like you have to <laughs> end them at some point so that the next adventure can pick up um well i'm gonna back you 100 percent and and tell uh jeffrey he's just dead dog wrong how about that because <laughs> jeffrey your own campaign and your own players i mean how would you do an adventure path for those guys you you said that some people resist adventure paths because it's uh more player driven but you've done the opposite which is very player driven those guys have shaped the campaign which is what i like is when oh when... and i i completely agree i'd much rather i and from here on out i i would probably steer clear of adventure paths even if i was running you know pathfinder or something like that just because i've had such a great time with letting the players take it where they want it to go because it's made it more fun to me it's been less I like just it's been less work trying to steer people. I got to get you to here so I can kick this off. There's a lot of pressure to that. And sometimes you, have to, yeah, oh, there you guys just <laughs> need to do this so we can do that. Whereas with this group, my online group, I mean, people have heard they go crazy directions and it's cool. It's like, keep me on my toes. I mean, so yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm paying attention because my group hasn't reached that point yet. It's been very much Jim Presents Adventure 1, Jim Presents Adventure 2, and I want what you've got going on to happen, and I haven't found the way to make that this group do that or help them do that. Does that make the sense? The only time – yes, yes, it yeah, does. It does, and that's why I appreciate my, my, my group because they're good at driving it themselves. I mean, there's times I can just sort of sit back and listen to them and, you know uh, – yeah, it, it and it varies from group to group. Some want that structure, and others want to do what they want to do. And it's my gig to react to that and lay out the direction they want to go, even if they make a zig when I thought they were going to zag. So, but yeah, oh yeah, I, 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 my players have been asking me for a world map the whole time, and I keep telling them, "You guys haven't drawn it yet. When yep. you get to the next place, yeah, we'll we'll start a map." Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! I have a player named James Smith, and he's just a a great artist. And he, in a little leather-bound book, meticulously, just from my verbal directions, created a map of everywhere they've been. And it's a thing of beauty. Except I looked at it, and it's uh, compass reversed east to west because I'm just partially dyslexic, and I've been describing the compass directions wrong. So he he, <laughs> he drew he, he drew the campaign world I have in my head with east and west reversed because that's the way I told him. To. Just a mirror image. <laughs> That sounds awesome. Can I borrow him? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks, I I, Will. I close the, oh, sorry. No, go, go for it. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, you're up, Jim. <laughs> oh, and I've got an email here from DM Kojo. Hey, Kojo! Uh, he says, greetings, Spellburners. I wanted to write in and give two thumbs up to the Tales from the Fallen Empire book by James Carpio. <laughs> Yes, I agree. Uh, it is a fantastic resource for DCC RPG. It is a post-apocalyptic swords and sorcery setting that is extensively detailed in the book. It is useful both as a standalone setting and taking pieces and using them in your own setting. Some of my favorite things I hope to incorporate in my game are the barbarian class, and then in parentheses he's got D14 for hit points. Right on. Um, the witch class... New weapons, equipment, and magic items. Ritual magic. Uh, I think that part was actually written by Mr. Curtis. Uh, new spells and new creatures. Also, the two adventures in the back of the book look quite good, and I plan on using them with my group. Perhaps you could get James Carpio to come on the show and speak in more detail about the book in the future. Keep rolling mighty deeds, DM Kojo. So, 
we did uh, make an effort to get James on, and we had a thing where a show didn't happen because nobody could get their stuff lined up. We should probably still do that, though. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, we got Adam a couple people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple people we need to get on, I think. so. And, I, and he's definitely been on the list before. Just got to make those schedules cross and make it work. I'll ta- yeah. uh, s- since I know James, I'll take this one, Jen, and you work on Reverend Dak. <laughs> got it. Because <laughs> uh, they're right. It's a beautiful, hardbound book. Great art. Yeah, I haven't gotten my paws on that one yet. I think that'll be a Gen Con acquisition. And it's an interesting idea to do post-apocalyptic swords and sorceries, which is uh, very Michael Moorcock, Robert E. Howard. Yeah, sounds right up our alley. Yeah, I need to check out the ritual magic section because I I have an interest in some of the ritual magic, so I need to check that section out. Ooh, good call. Okay, Okay. next email. We've got one here from Hobbit Fan says, hello, I was watching Gamers 2 yesterday, and in the movie, the DM has a Dungeon Crawl Classics module published. Doing a quick internet search, it appears that there was a Gen Con exclusive that was that module. Do you guys know anything about this? Was it a fully-fledged module you could play, or just a promotion? In the movie, the module was called The Mask of Death. Thanks, Hobbit Fan. I had to – this was before I was paying any attention to Dungeon Crawl Classics, so I had to execute Google Foo on it too. But it seems like it was a real module published in 2005, and it's harder to find than like the Gazetteer with the campaign setting in it. But it does actually exist. It was a cross-promotion between Goodman Games and the producers of the movie. I I think it, it's on the Goodman – you can – if you do a, an internet search, you can see – you can find it on the Goodman Games website still listed, although they don't – you know, it's long out of print. They said yeah. that there were pictures from the movie in the module. Interesting. Yeah, it's listed as number 20.5. Jeffrey, didn't you say you owned this once back in the day? I did own this once, and then I <laughs> sold off some art. This is why I don't sell anything and why my wife thinks I'm a hoarder, because I finally broke down and sold a few RPG books off, and this was one of the ones I sold off, and now I regret it, and that's why I will never sell another RPG book again. But yes, I did have <laughs> this one for a while. Did 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 you sell it for fabulous sums of money that it's going for now? I did not, and that's why I will never sell anything again because I did not get anywhere near what it should have been worth. And it was a friend of mine that bought it from me. I know where he lives, and if I ever go visit him in California, he may want to keep a close eye on this bookshelf because I may just reclaim it. But, uh, yes, I did own this once. I picked it up at uh, – I think we were thinking 2005-ish was the year. Is that right, Jen? Yep. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. Um so that would have been a Gen Con. I was there on a whim, picked this one up, and like I said, I was looking for some money, sold off some RPG stuff, and never again. So, <laughs> don't, yeah. don't, don't ask Gemma, Jen about 2005. She was still like in junior high then. She wasn't That's even true. That's true. Um, no. <laughs> no, actually, 2004 was the first year we were uh, hired by Gen Con. So, no, we, we were at Indian 2005. I probably walked by you in the halls. Oh, probably. You and Dieter. (laughs) (laughs) Dieter, man, what a baby face. I thought he was baby face now, and then he put a picture up that was like just from 10 years ago, and he looks like he's 12. Yes. Yes, we hate him. Yes. (laughs) He has a portrait somewhere in the attic, I'm pretty sure. Oh, Dorian Gray reference. Nice. So we know what to get you for Christmas. We'll all have to pitch in and get you a copy of Mask of the Death, Jeffrey. Yes, uh, it sounds like it's expensive now, though. Can we find a PDF instead? (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, to stay in the budget. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I, my lawyer tells me I have to say I don't find illegal PDFs on the Internet. That's what I'm oh, supposed no. to say. <laughs> on advice of counsel, I don't do that. Okay. Hey, I see the bottom of the email bag. We're almost there. Who's it around to? Me? Woo-hoo! I think it's me. Okay. No? Okay. Take it. <laughs> Go I'm for Bruce. it, Job. We'd love to hear your voice. Hi, guys and Jen. Oh, hey, okay. So this is a recent one here. <laughs> how, about getting, how about getting John Marr of Purple Sorcerer on the show? I think he might make an interesting guest. As you know, he's behind some of the most useful tools available to DCC players and judges, the Crawlers app and the online character generator, and he's very active in promoting the, the Dungeon Crawl Classics. John very kindly sent me some codes to hand out at a game I recently ran at the UK Games Expo. I created, I'm sorry, I printed some death certificates to hand out for the first and most heroic deaths with the RPG Now download codes on the back, and they went down a storm with the players. That must be some Britishism or something, I don't know. (laughs) Thanks (laughs) Thanks for a great podcast. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Bruce. So uh, we've got two votes for John Marr in, in one mailbag. Okay, we I do have two votes. I've got an idea. We're gamers, right? Let's turn this into a game. Let's see who can get one of these guys on the show first and get it all lined up. Jen's got Dak. I've got James <laughs> Carpio. Who wants John Marr? I can Marr. take care of getting a hold of John unless like, – I tend to dialogue with him somewhat frequently. So, Okay. What, what are the stakes? What does the winner get? So are, are we leaving Mr. Goodman out of the – out of the mix here? Uh, yeah. Okay, Joe. You get, you get Joseph. <laughs> Good luck with that, Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At Gen Con last year, Joseph told me, well, after the first of the year. Mm-hmm. So it's after the first of the year, Joe. Uh, last I heard, he said he had some grand scheme or something of something that had to happen first. So I don't know what it is. Hmm. Okay, well, that's amorphous alpha. I mean, what else could there be? I don't know. Is he taking over Kickstarter? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it could be. You know, it's a tough job being the Dark Master and running all the minions. Yeah. I mean, when some of the minions are me and Job, come on. Think think that all the way through. I envy his patience. Okay, well, we'll do our best efforts to get all those people on, and we'll and we'll see which one of the judges can get the guest on first. Sounds good to me. What are the stakes again? I forgot. Um, I think Judge Jim was going to make everyone cookies. I don't know. <laughs> Since we're at the bottom of the email bag, you can re- help us refill the email bag by contacting us at band at spellborn.com or through our forums at osrgaming.org We're at the bottom of the mailbag, but don't we have um, a one last piece of content for this show? Oh, right. Let's go do Dungeon Denizens. Go on, boys. Chop his head off. Right, silly little Peter. Jesus Christ! My armor is like a tenfold shield. My teeth are like swords. My claws fierce. 
got a winner. <laughs> Heaven yes, help us all. Do. Yes, we do. <laughs> so this one came to us from Daniel Bishop, uh, and this one has a, a, a great name. It is called The Wampler. Jesus. And <laughs> <laughs> Scary. So um, this is a creature that uh, – or let's see, it's described the domain of the Wampler dwells within cliffs coming out into the forest to hunt. Few have seen the Wampler, which is said to be old as the wood, <laughs> I'll add. <laughs> um, and to have come into existence when the stones of the rock wall thrust upward through broken roots. Uh, he's described as a large beast, something like a great bear that walks like a man, uh, has an impressive crown of antlers atop an old man's head. Uh, it is said that the diet of the Wampler consists of human flesh in whole or in part. Um, however, the Wampler is a great store of wisdom and can be petitioned for knowledge of spells and other lore. It is said by some that he was there even in the days when King Gax raised a shining kingdom where the forest now stands. <laughs> um, woodsmen and elves sometimes leave gifts of food for the Wampler along the rock wall. Uh, but none knows where the entrance to the Wampler's home truly is. Uh, supposedly there's a rumor to, there's a cabin hidden somewhere among the rock walls, countless ledges where the Wampler lives, but uh, he's only seen if he's he's only found if he wishes to be seen. Uh, the Wampler can move with absolute silence in the forest, has a shaggy coat of uh, lichen or gray fur, which is excellent camouflage against both stone and wood. Uh, the fur is definitely getting gray. <laughs> what, what's left of it <laughs> he can surprise opponents on a 9 and 10 chance uh, reduced by 1 for every elf or woodsman with a party the wampler can cast charm person with his gaze and forget with his voice both with plus 6 <laughs> bonus to spell check uh, the wampler himself is immune to all mind influencing spells and effects uh, and if slain, the Wampler reforms over the course of 1d5 plus 1d7 months. Uh, now, the Wampler can be caught upon for spellburn by wizards and elves within 10 miles of the rock wall. Um, he, uh, Daniel included a unique uh, spellburn event chart where you roll a d5 on the chart and figure out what happens when spell burn and th that part is really cool it, yeah it is. Oh. is there is there something you want to highlight out of there there's five options obviously oh i mean catches your eye just something that keeps it from saying i burn 10 stamina you know you it, your character's body erupts in patches of moss and lichen expressed as strength agility or stamina loss as the damage heals your body becomes accustomed to the growth but you don't get rid of the moss or lichen unless you hack it off and take the damage all over again yeah. Oh so, man. So I thought that cool, was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool chart. Um and then let's see, the Wampler plus two to a knit, plus eight to a melee claw attack for one D six plus four, a bite at a plus four for a one D twelve damage, AC sixteen, uh ten D eight hit dice, moves at forty feet, three actions, uh let's see, uh plus ten to stealth, charm person by gaze, forget by voice. Immune to mind-affecting effects, uh, reform if slain, and offer spell burn. And the saves come in at a fort of a plus 10, reflex of a plus 4, and a will of a plus 16 with a neutral alignment. So that is the Wampler from 
Daniel Bishop who sent that in to us. I don't know what to say about this, except <laughs> there is one weird part where he's got this thing living next to a cliff, a rock wall, and the entom- the etymology of my surname is Wampler. There was an F between the P and the L before we got over here. We're from – it's Swiss, like Gygax. We're from a village in Switzerland called Wampflen, which in Old Swiss means a village by a rock cliff. So- I'm wondering if he did some Google Foo himself on that one. <laughs> or it's just a really weird coincidence. So well done. A stalker, Jim. Yep. Well done on that yep. part. <laughs> Just looking through your desk. <laughs> Maybe Daniel works for the NSA and we don't know it. It's <laughs> cool. So thanks for sending that in, Daniel. It's always fun. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I guess, kids, if you want to get a winner in Dungeon Denizens, you just need to uh, appeal to our sense of vanity. I'm looking for the Tadlock. (laughs) I might have to write that one. (laughs) The Tadlock. That should be some kind of Mutant Crawl Classics thing that opens up uh, computer locked doors. A monster that... Never mind. (laughs) I already put you in my game, Job. There's already a a bite mon in my game. Yeah, and there there might be a book that's got uh, the Tadlock's parrot in it coming up pretty soon. Oh, that's right. Yep, I've heard that rumor. <laughs> well, you could say what book that got announced. The Monster Alphabet. Yes, your big book coming out. Yep, and 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 there's a Relp Maw. There's a Relp Maw in uh, my um, Metamorphosis Alpha adventure that people will see later this year. Sweet. When is the Alphabet coming out? I don't know. Or if I do know, I don't think I'm supposed to talk about it. Okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, we could do some rough calculations. Have you finished it? (laughs) (laughs) It's done. It's been done for a long time, like everything. Okay, okay. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, my God. The one who watches from below, that was done like a year ago before – a year before it came out. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm just messing with you, man. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Oh, man. You've got to sit on it for that long. That must kill you. Right, it was that was the free RPG day from 2012 contest or whatever. Yeah, for the uh, the one who watches from below. So, oh well. Welcome to the romantic world of RPG writing. <laughs> right. Hey, I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining at all. Oh well, thanks, Daniel. Thank you very much for that. Navigate back to our show notes here. I think that does that wrap it up for the episode. So we need more emails and we need more Dungeon Denizen contributions. Absolutely. The Brinkman. The Brinkman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I live with that. We're good. <laughs> I have such mixed emotions. Oh, oh, by the way, guys, I just won. I just sent an email to John Marr when you guys were talking about our contest and he just wrote me back. Oh, you're cheating. That- would be a blast, if not a little terrifying, John. Yeah, your person was Joseph Goodman. Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> that is cheating. Uh, you know what though? Kobayashi Maru. I win. I, I think I, I think he did. I think he won. I think he just won on live on the air. <laughs> Cheater. Very much so. Okay, coming soon to a Spellburn episode near you, John Marr. That would be awesome. awesome. I, I just want to thank him for the, the crawler app. Oh, my God. Yeah, we can gush at him. That's been a lifesaver. 
Okay. Well, cheater, you want to take us out? <laughs> Mr. Sure. Winner? I'm going down the road. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong show. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Good night. See ya. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> All right, there it is. There we go. And we're out. The Spellburn Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. Guests on the show are booked by the Bitman and Cheaters Talent Agency, where your next celebrity appearance is only an email away. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time 